Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora and welcome. I'm Sonia Sly, and this is an Our Changing World podcast from RNZ. Now, for this episode, I headed to NMIT, where there's some research currently underway looking at a new form of pain relief using the Onga Onga, a New Zealand stinging nettle. The research has also been published in the 2018 Christmas edition of the BMJ, and there's an interesting story behind how the research came into being. But first... These are vials that contain uh, brine shrimp in them. Sea, sea monkeys. A favourite food for seahorses, apparently. And this is... Hey, Monday, and I'm a freelance electronics engineer. This here is a containerized system that has a temperature control mechanism in here, a little fan heater. All contained in a vertical wooden box. But inside, there's so much going on. You can set what temperature you need the, the test subjects to be comfortable at. 28 degrees, the optimum temperature, which allows Hamon and the researchers he's working with to monitor changes and growth. And you, you ensure that you control all the parameters that you are able to control, light and temperature, and the way you look at them in this case is very tiny and endoscopic webcams. Under each of the vials. Correct, and they're looking up over a period of time. You can capture their motion. After they hatch, they're about one millimeter long and then fully mature one centimeter. My name is Eric Buens. I'm a research professor at NMIT. Who, of course, has been working very closely with Hamon and the design. Hatched about two days ago. How many do you think are actually in there? There's between 10 and 12 in each vial. This is capturing at a periodicity of one every minute. They're changing, and we can measure from this the motility of the subjects in the vials. So it's how fast they move? How fast they move, Why is that important? One of the challenges you have when you're testing a new drug is the administration of it. So what we've done is the sea monkeys are a good model system because we can put the drug into their vial and then they're bathed in the drug and we can see exactly what happens to them. And this is where Gareth Parry comes in. So if I give a shock of your nerve and then record from a muscle, the electrical shock travels down the nerve to the muscle and the muscle then twitches and that twitch is associated with an electrical activity that we can record. He's also a research professor at NMIT and this year was awarded a Fulbright scholarship through the US State Department. He's also a leading expert on... GBS or Guillain-Barre syndrome. New Zealand has one of the highest rates of this in the developed world. We have the highest incidence of infection with a little bug called Campylobacter jejuni. One in 1,500, roughly, of people who get exposed to Campylobacter go on to get GBS. And how is that contracted? Food poisoning, mainly from chicken, but also from other meats and occasionally um, non-meat sources. An infecting organism has a molecule on its outer coat that closely resembles a molecule in the nerve. And the immune system is stimulated 
to attack the invading organism, but then is looking around and says, that looks sort of similar, and attacks that as well. In most neuropathies, you can get pain. And someone who experienced it is Dr Matt Pesey, who also works at NMIT as part of the broader research department. I was on my honeymoon in Bali. Felt terrible, ruined the rest of the honeymoon. And then starting to feel better, came back to New Zealand, and that's when I started having the paralysis. It starts in your extremities and ascends up your limbs. I remember chopping some carrots and just my hands weren't as dexterous as they used to be. I went to work the next day and I was carpooling with one of my mates, also a scientist, and I was just telling him I felt a bit weak. And he said, oh, you've, you've, got, you've got GBS. The first thing I did was Wikipedia. I thought, no, that looks terrible, definitely don't have that. But only a few hours later, his condition declined rapidly. I couldn't walk properly. The doctor said, oh, I know exactly what you've got, I just can't remember the name. And so I said, oh, it's not GBS, is it? And he goes, yeah, yeah, how'd you know, how'd you know? Like I'd won a lottery. <laughs> just the wrong kind, obviously. When I was out of the hospital, I started getting some really, really bad back pain, so they put me on some very, very strong painkillers. They didn't work, so they put me on some more. Initially, Matt read that there was about a 10% fatality rate, only to discover later that it was more like 5%. Now, those over 70 are way more vulnerable, so chances of recovery for him were very high. Matt's took about 6 to 12 months, but it hasn't left him completely. And still got some residual weakness and stamina sort of issues. You know, even now I've got like sort of quite shaky sort of fingers. So Matt talked about the fact that his stamina never really got back to where it was. But also roughly 40% of patients end up with pain with their GBS, and sometimes that can be very long-lasting. So we decided that we would like to see if we could come up with strategies to better manage the pain. And this is where the self-experimentation comes in. It started by accident. Eric uh, exposed himself to the New Zealand native stinging nettle, Anga Anga. I had shot an animal, it was laying there in the bush, and I reached down to grab it, and I didn't think anything of reaching through this green plant that really, in my mind, was nothing different than the green plant sitting next to it. And then I had this just fascinating stinging sensation. I thought, oh, wow, oh, there's a nettle. Okay, that's fine. I pulled the animal out, and at this point, we were living in a bus. We had just immigrated to New Zealand. I got back to the bus, and I was thinking, oh, my God, what's happening to my hand? It's starting to go numb. Everyone tells me nothing can kill you in the New Zealand bush. They've lied. So Eric went online. He found out that he was stung by... Urtica ferox, onga onga, and there's six papers. And what he read freaked him out. They are all on things along the lines of this animal model, a rat model, was exposed to onga onga and it was paralyzed and then... To kill a small animal? Yeah, well, that, that was it, right? Yeah, and then there's academic literature stories about how a dog fell into it, a person fell into it, and I'm like, oh my god, this is terrible. And then finally you find the poison control paper that says this is the most common cause of calls to New Zealand poison control, or it's in the top ten or something, and then, alright, I'm not going to die. The crazy thing was, you have days where you have this numbness sensation and you really can't feel anything. I think what Eric said was, this is cool, we should actually do some research on this. So you all went back to the bush and stuck you? Well, more or less, more or less. We had harvested some onga onga from uh, the bush with permission of Dark. 
And we brought it back to Eric's backyard, snipping the little white spines off the stinging nettle because that's where the poison lives. Just one spine penetrated my glove right here. Which he recorded for three days after exposure. He had a little felt that he had drawn on his finger where the pain was. I was stinging myself with a little pin. I tested my ability to recognize hot and cold, but I feel touch. And, was uh, it a kind of a scream kind of pain oh, no. when it happens? It's no, just more of an it's ow. damn. Oh. <laughs> Do you feel like your, sort of, your hand or whatever is on fire or...? The answer is yes, it absolutely does. Now, now remember, there's a difference. What Eric did was put his whole hand in, so he got stung over a broad area. The intense pain is only for maybe 30 seconds to a minute. It feels intense, tingling, fiery, burning sensation. But there's a limit to how far Gareth is prepared to go and putting his body on the line for science. You see, Māori used to use onga-onga to treat... Venereal disease. I can imagine rubbing the stuff on your private parts. <laughs> it would be an interesting experience. It's uh, not one you're willing no, to I'm not. get your sacrifice? But how can something that causes pain also be used to treat it? There is a known therapeutic called capsaicin, which is derived from the hot chilli pepper that is known to bind to the little pain fibers in the skin and can produce improvement in pain. Eric and I sort of thought, you know, that's sort of what happens with anga-anga. It hurts when you first get exposed to it, but after that pain subsides, you end up with numbness. If it's given in specific graded doses, you might be able to find a dose that you could give that would inhibit pain without causing the loss of sensation of sufficient degree to uh, run the risk of injuring yourself, cutting or burning or whatever yourself. Because 40% of patients with GBS can get uh, quite significant pain. This numbing characteristic is only in the New Zealand nettle species. Now, back to the research and that little box that we were looking at earlier. The challenge we have, you need to find the one molecule or the family of molecules that are responsible for the biological effect of reducing the sensation of pain. And so using these, this model system, what we can do is we can look at that whole mixture of the plant just and say, okay, right, it works. So we know that these animals are moving slower now, you know, that they're not hatching as quickly. And then we start this what's known as bioassay guided fractionation where we start going and separating out until we get one molecule that we put in the vial with the sea monkeys, and then they move slower, or they don't hatch as quickly. That's the one that is the pain medication. How is it different to any other kind of pain relief that might be available? All of the medications that we use to treat pain currently, the great challenge is suppressing the pain without causing a plethora of really unpleasant side effects. Some pain medication can cause anything from nausea to dizziness, itchiness and sweating, to depression, weakening of the immune system, bleeding in the stomach, which can lead to ulcers, and also kidney problems. So we're hoping that anga anga yields us a molecule that will have the same safety profile as capsaicin, but will be more potent, applied to the area where the pain is occurring. So how important is self-experimentation to medicine? 
It's getting harder and harder to do it because uh, ethics committees don't look at it favorably. They think it's uh, inappropriate for doctors to be experimenting on themselves. And one of those reasons is that it can be life-threatening. But without some of the self-experimentation that's gone on in the past, we wouldn't have cures for illnesses that are easily treated today. One of the more famous examples is a guy called Barry Marshall from Western Australia. He actually did the experiment on himself without obtaining ethics approval, and that led to the incredibly important discovery that stomach ulcers were caused by a little bug called Helicobacter. Dr. Marshall got the Nobel Prize for that work. Sometimes that's how research gets going. It's not some earth-shaking hypothesis. It's making an observation and then saying, oh, we should try to understand this better. That was Professor Gareth Parry and Professor Eric Bjorns. You also heard Haymon die at the beginning of the episode. And I'm Sonia Sly for this episode of Our Changing World. If you'd like to find out more, including a link to the paper on pain and self-experimentation, which was published in the prestigious Christmas edition of the medical journal BMJ, then head to our webpage, rnz.co.nz forward slash Our Changing World. And don't forget, you can find us as a podcast in all the usual places. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.